On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to this episode of the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. In today's episode, Self-Care for Caregivers, Trent Cockrum, CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, is joined by Misty Mize, medical social worker at the Randolph Hospice House, one of Hospice of the Piedmont's two inpatient hospice facilities. Throughout Misty's many years as a social worker, she has guided families through difficult conversations and served as an advocate for caregivers in both the hospital and hospice settings. You can read her bio in the show notes for today's episode. Together, Trent and Misty will discuss how caregiving is a symbiotic relationship between the caregiver and the care receiver, the importance of viewing self-care as essential instead of optional for those in the caregiving role, and the impact on the caregiver when self-care is not made a priority. Let's listen in. Misty, I'm so glad you were able to join me today um, for our continuing discussion about caregivers and the support that um, we can provide to caregivers and more importantly, what caregivers actually need. And so I want to just jump right into our conversation today. Um, and, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot and we've heard a lot about it in the last couple of years, uh, not specific to caregivers in particular, but that's the context that we're talking about today is this concept of self-care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what is it? I mean, we talk about it a lot, but what is it? Well, Self-care, I usually like to describe it as um, being able to recognize and value yourself as an important part of the caregiving relationship. Um, It's so, so pivotally important to recognize that your well-being and your worth as a person um, matters just as much as the person that you are caring for. You know, caregiving is a very um, symbiotic relationship. You know, whatever affects you is going to affect the person that you care for. Sure. Positively or negatively. Um, So self-care, it sounds like a very rudimentary term and and something that is, it's very simple to take on. But unfortunately, a lot of caregivers put their own health and their own well-being in the back seat when they have to, to embrace the the possibility of carrying the responsibilities as as a caregiver. Yeah, and I think you set this up really nicely because it you led off with it's about your own value and worth. Um, and you know when 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 we talk about prioritizing a caregiver is prioritizing their own needs before others, that often seems so counterintuitive to what we think about as being a good caregiver. But in effect, having good self-care practices actually enables you to be a better caregiver. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of research that shows that, again, the relationship between a a caregiver's well-being and and personal health just directly affects the, the outcome of the care that you're providing for for your loved one. Um, Self-care really helps you to perform at your best level and to be 
um, the best that you can be for for your loved one in that time of need. And it, it helps you maintain your own sense of confidence and self-esteem, self-esteem um, during that very arduous process. But it just, it just helps us be very mindful about our own personal needs, um, you know, and, and to keep those in the equation, you know, day by day. Well, so, you know, self-care, you know, I suspect means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Um, and it is this really nebulous thing, right? Um, it, it, it's, 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 it's not something that we can go to the store and buy, <laughs> right? It's not something that we can get Amazon to deliver to our house, right? right. Um, but, but, you know, what does it actually look like then to be actively engaged in good self-care? Well, I think mindfulness plays a big part in good self-care. And and mindfulness is a general term, but I like to view it as kind of being just very keenly aware of your your status, your your health status, your strengths, your limitations, your challenges that you are facing, and and to to see them and and calmly, um, you know, evaluate the situation at hand mm-hmm. um, you know it's so very important to be present in the moment and to be honest with yourself about what you feel you can do and what you can't do yeah as a caregiver um, and there are tons of you know activities and exercises that you can do to incorporate in your day-to-day life to help with that as well and you know we talk about exercises and we talk about um, you know, having awareness and this, this thing about this construct of mindfulness, you know, we're talking about multiple dimensions of care, right? You're talking about physical well-being. You're talking about spiritual, perhaps well-being more important for some than others. Yes. And then you're, you're talking about, um, an individual psychosocial well-being, yes. right? And so, um, it, all of those together sort of, I imagine, sort of help form the the self-care strategies that people may need in order to maintain their mindfulness to use a term that you just used is that is that right absolutely absolutely and and with our work with families and caregivers we we try to give good examples of of what different types of things they could do Um, journaling is a huge a huge uh, example that i use um you know, writing how you feel. Exactly. Laying it out on a piece of paper and you can come back to it and refer back to it and see kind of how you've grown or how you've regressed or things that you may need to change. um, You know, you can do meditation exercises, yoga, um, any kind of exercise, physical exercise. You can, you know, break into the myriad of apps that we have (laughs) this day and age um, to help with that. So um, I think that there are a ton of different activities that you could take part in that aren't complicated and may not take a long time to do, but it just helps to ground you and center you as, as a person with, with your own worth. Yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned just a couple of moments ago is sort of about uh, understanding your own limitations and realizing that, you know, you may be 
myself, for example, as a caregiver, I may be really good at a lot of things, but I may be really not great at a whole lot of other things. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and but but there may be other people in my you know immediate sphere, either in my family or with my friends or whomever yeah. um, that that may have a skill set that I may need to sort of make sure that I'm well connected with and maybe even lean on a little bit. And that's really yes. OK. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is really fundamental for that caregiver to identify people, like you say, within their sphere um, that they can rely on and and use to to help them in their their responsibilities. Um, We talk a lot about um, how you can, you know, organize people with with calendars and schedules and, and match people that are willing to help with certain activities that they may enjoy anyway. Um, You know, if you have a friend that enjoys cooking, well, maybe they can prepare a couple of meals every now and then for for you and and your your loved one that needs care. Or perhaps they love being outside and and doing the ever-present lawn care um, (laughs) that that is so needed at times. Um, But just kind of you know, engaging people close to you and matching them up with their own strengths and their own interests to, to try to take some of that load off you, uh, yeah. you know, as a primary caregiver. Yeah. And as we've discussed in previous episodes, it is, you know, about sort of checking yourself, right, as the caregiver to, to not immediately respond when someone says, how can I help you? Well, nothing. I'm fine. I don't need a thing. Cause that isn't really necessarily in many cases being really honest one with yourself and two with the other person. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's our knee jerk reaction. And a lot of times to say, I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. I've got this. And then I'm, I don't need anything right now, or I'll let you know. And, and that's, um, like you say, that's not always the most helpful and honest response that you need to have. If, if people are approaching you and are offering help, then this is the time in your life that you need to take it. Right. Because because dismissing it or not accepting it is really sort of the opposite of having great value on yourself and actually understanding what your self-care needs may be. Exactly. Based exactly. on what you're saying, um, you know. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about in your experience and you've seen, you know, folks at various um, stages of caregiving in your career, in your healthcare career. Uh, can you talk about, uh, you know, what it looks like when folks are actively engaged in good self-care and, you know, h- how that affects them in particular? Sure. So, when people allow themselves outlets, time to debrief and de-stress, you know, they, they maintain a, a clearer mind. They, they don't start having these negative emotions toward the one that they're caring for. Um, their health can be maintained reasonably well. They can maintain relationships outside of the caregiver relationship that they have right now. Um, they're able to set boundaries kind of where they need to. And, and like you said before, recognize their, their limitations and, and things that they are good at and things that they may need help with for the long haul, because some, some disease processes are very, are very um, 
long and drawn out, unfortunately. And some disease processes are very rapid. And both of those directions, you know, both of those scenarios have their own challenges with that. But you've got to try to prepare yourself for for the long haul if you can. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think you've talked about some of the successful strategies that people can uh, can use. And one of the things that I know I've heard people talk about before is, you know, having a, having a calendar. And when people say, can I help you with something? Say, yes, on next Tuesday, I need you to do this at two o'clock. Right. I mean, it's so it it can be really direct. Absolutely. I, I have had many family meetings where we sit down with, you know, a calendar and say, hey, you know, Joe, next Tuesday, I'm really going to need someone to, to make the grocery run or, uh, you know, next Thursday, I've got a doctor's appointment for myself. Can you can you come over and sit with with mom while I'm gone? Um, I think that's a very organized way to to keep up with the the myriad of responsibilities and tasks and errands that you that you have to carry out while you're being a caregiver. Yeah. And, I, I you know, a lot of people rely on lists. Um, to get them through everyday life, much less being taking on the responsibility of being a caregiver. So I really think that those are great tools to to utilize. Sure. And, you know, I think it goes without saying, but I think it's important to say this again, that, um, you know, this is for most people, there are variations, as you've, just, as you've just noted, people who have a very short trajectory of illness and then people who have a very long trajectory of illness and the caregiving needs for both of those look you know, a little different. Sure. Um, but the, some of the considerations are, are universal, just the same. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it, as I think about that, I suspect many people probably begin like a racehorse out of the gate right? They are ready to go and win the race. Yes. And then, and then as this trajectory becomes perhaps a little bit more protracted and prolonged, they're falling kind of to the back of the pack. If we continue that sort of racehorse metaphor. And, and so, you know, it's about having a measured approach, right? Absolutely. It's about pacing yourself and, and making plans, you know, for various certain situations that may or may not pop up, um, you know, kind of hope for the best and prepare for the worst, you know, get your get your bases covered when you can, um, because we, we never know what's what the future may hold and what challenges may be brought upon us. Yeah. So if I were to back up for just a moment, too, and think about when self-care doesn't work when folks aren't really actively engaged well in self-care, sure. um, you know, I imagine there's a host of predictable emotions that you may begin to see in folks who maybe are not actively engaged in self-care. Can you talk a little bit about some of those and your experience? Sure. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a variety of emotions that may, that may occur during a caregiving relationship, mainly a lot of times anger, frustration towards that person, bitterness. Um, you may start to resent them for, for their needs and, and for what they can do for themselves. And then above that, you can have generalized you know, anxiety, irritability, 
not just with the person you care for, but with other people in your life, your spouse, your children, your employer, your, you know, many people. Um, And then you can have people that start to be in denial about what the true situation is. Mm. Um, And denial is a very powerful um, defense mechanism in a lot of ways, um, but probably not the most positive one to have. Um, right. Then you see people who sometimes begin to display signs of depression or social withdrawal, um, mm. not not participating in activities that once held a lot of enjoyment for them. Um, and then, of course, you you may always see um, tiredness and, and exhaustion, but to the point of causing physical harm to yourself. Mm-hmm. Hi, friends. It's your host, Ryan Biagini. You can be part of the exciting work that Hospice of the Piedmont is doing in the caregiving space. Your support is important to help us fulfill our mission and provide care to all in need. To partner with us through giving, visit the donate page at www.hospiceofthepiedmont.org. And now let's get back to the conversation. You know, one of the things that I find myself so often um, asking folks who are in an active caregiving role, if I, if I know it, if they've shared it with me is, are you taking care of yourself? Not how are you doing? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, are you taking care of yourself? And, and when you ask folks that question, my experience is oftentimes after they sort of stop and sort of think about the initial sort of question that I've asked, you know, it goes one of two ways. They'll say, you know, actually I am, you know, thank you for asking, or, well, maybe not. And there are things I need to do better. And, you know, that oftentimes for folks that I think are listening to this, I wonder if that is a great entry point, um, you know, as opposed to, um, is there anything I can do for you? Let's start with, are you taking care of yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. Open, you know, ask those open-ended questions, the questions that aren't easily answered with, yeah, I'm okay, or no, not really. <laughs> you know, right. you've got to really delve into that and, and, and make people talk about things because it's not always easy or comfortable to speak about, you know, your your health and your reaction to what you're having to go through. So. Oh, gosh, no, because I think for most caregivers, that feels incredibly selfish. And exactly. And and what in, in their mind, it is what right do I have to be selfish about anything because I have too great a responsibility when in exactly. reality, the well-being of the person they're caring for is sort of wrapped up in the caregiver's own well-being. Exactly. Um, as you yes. as you noted, as we first started this conversation, it's symbiotic. Um, you know, it's it's horse and cart, right? Um, I mean, to, to use a couple of different e- euphemisms about that. So, you know, Misty, you um, are the are the primary social worker at the Randolph Hospice House, uh, one of Hospice of the Piedmont's two inpatient facilities. Um, and you interact with every day with patients, families um, who are entering the facility, and you're working with caregivers at various stages. So sometimes they are, uh, you know, they, we're talking about family caregivers. We obviously have a professional staff that is caring for the patient while they're in one of our inpatient facilities. But you're you're working with families who may have had a very long span of time as a caregiver. And you're working with families who maybe just sort of been thrust into this really suddenly because this illness is incredibly acute. 
um, and uh, is going to be one of incredibly short duration. And, you know, whether they're actively caregiving or passively caregiving, you know, not, not actually being the caregiver themselves, self-care is still important. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Because we tell people all the time when, when a loved one is admitted to the inpatient unit, you know, your, your role is not minimized just because you may not be providing the hands-on physical care. You know, there are still many facets of a person's well-being, just like you said earlier, spiritual, psychological, financial. You know, there are, there are a great many concerns still left, even if, even if we do have staff that are caring for a person's physical or medical needs. Um, and, and you need to recognize what value those hold. Um, and, and, and you are you are special to that person just by being who you are. And, and there's a lot of value just simply in, in, in sharing those moments together that are very intimate and very powerful. And, and there's so much value in that. And people people don't always give themselves credit for for what they do. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think all of that is so incredibly true because even though we've you know coming to a professional care setting um the burden of you know physical care may be alleviated um you know people still need that that dimensional support that psychosocial support the spiritual support that is so incredibly important in in every aspect of being you know a caregiver because it is it can be very emotional Absolutely. Yeah. So, and we, and that's part of, I think, you know, we don't always think about those three dimensions, the existential, the psychosocial and the physical um, in a holistic sense. You know, we think about physical and our ability to, you know, run a race uh, or lift weights or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's more than just that. And we think about that the psychosocial as our own mental well-being and um, we don't always pay the greatest attention to that. And our spiritual well-being is a totally separate consideration altogether and often informed by faith traditions and really important things in our life. So exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we've taken a pretty in-depth journey in a very short period of time today, um, all related to self-care and mindfulness, which I think is such a beautiful word. Um, you know, Self-care, as we've sort of discussed during our wide-ranging conversation today, is a universal consideration in all stages of caregiving. Um, But I have to ask you this question. Is there one thing that we didn't talk about that you want our listeners to really know about self-care in particular? I think that one thing that is very telling is a lot of recent research has focused on the the negative aspects that that caregiving can can put on a person especially physically and and the fact that there are in in many cases a situation where the primary caregiver's health declines so significantly even to the point of of death actually before before their loved one passes right and that we have all seen situations where that has occurred sure. and, and so that that very blatantly shows the importance of of honoring yourself as a person with your own dignity and your own value and and just honoring the the fact that 
you are very important and you are providing a very fundamental role. And as you said before, we, we've got to we've got to prepare ourselves for whatever type of race is set before us and we need to protect ourselves before we can really truly help anyone else. Sure. You're exactly right. I mean, if anything, I think we've established really concretely um, for folks who are listening to this, that, that caregiving and self-care in particular isn't a hundred yard dash, you know, but more importantly, there's, little opportunity, if in fact, no opportunity for mid-race recovery. So there's no, there are oftentimes nobody standing on the sidelines with a cup of water or Gatorade to give you, right. Unless you're asking for it. And so, um, you know, and, and without sort of identifying that support mechanism for yourself and actively engaging in good self-care for yourself, um, it's detrimental to the caregiver's own health to the health potentially of the person for whom they're providing the care. It can be, you know, physically devastating. It can be financially detrimental. Um, and then, and then it can really adversely affect all those dimensions of care that we talked about this physical, the psychosocial and the existential yeah. Misty. Thank you for being with me today. This has been thank a you. really insightful conversation. Um, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I appreciate your sharing your expertise um, with our listeners. And more importantly, I appreciate your taking this journey with me. This is always so very insightful whenever we have new guests on our show. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the E-Series. We're excited to continue this caregiving dialogue throughout the remainder of the summer as we touch on topics such as anticipatory grief, toxic positivity in caregiving, and the benefit of engaging in a support group. Be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts so that you'll receive a notification as each episode publishes. Until next time, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.